Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a horror anthology podcast by Superversive Radio, with no affiliation with any detective agency, person, real or imagined, or the dark forces of Outre-Terre. It is not intended for children. The message came in from Control. Farmhouse 38 Ozark has reported strange happenings to the police. They report a tall stalker going after the children. The police have not been successful in identifying the culprit. Investigate. I'll leave it in your hands. Leaving the little ducklings to their rounds of the training gym was difficult, but the old Shawnee, some 138 years old and still as vindictive as ever, was up to the task. You should have heard their panic cries. Strong lungs, every one as he started their training regimen. I thought the Shawnee was dead, but he was anything but. Farmhouse 38 Ozark was close to my stomping grounds. I'd have sent the ducklings, but their training wasn't quite right yet. There's a spirit in them I have to build from the foundation of abusive workout regimens. A paranormal Pinkerton must delve into dark places, flesh-shredding holes and soul-rending chapels. If there is fear it before you even begin, well, better paranormal Pinkertons than these have died stupid. The father, a squat man with thick chest and thicker calluses, met me at a Waffle House. While he worked up the courage to talk about the supernatural, I wondered if this was the same Waffle House I had refuged in when I had saved a girl kidnapped by goblins. I devoured a stack of waffles. He just had a cup of coffee. I was on my best customer service form. All right. Okay, I've, I've got it. His eyes never rested on me, but looked at anything, absolutely anything else. It started uh, three, no, four weeks ago. My five-year-old developed an imaginary friend. I'm a horror fan, so I thought she had seen the one I saw last week, or unknown to me, I, I'm not sure, and was playing some sort of complicated prank. I'm just... Well, alright. She has an imaginary friend. She's going to do the creepy drawing scary images because she knows Dad likes a good scare. Good fun. Well, she never bothered with the drawings. It was the shadows. They were growing and changing. It wasn't just sitting there, you know, under the dresser or whatever. It would spread like rot. I'd see someone at the window with a door. No knocks, no, I don't know, physical crap. If I saw it, there was someone else showed up. I had Pastor C over. He prayed over the house. He said he felt something weird, but he couldn't do anything about it. I called the police, and they did a good investigation. Nothing. No one hiding in my crawl space. No marks in the porch or the mud or, I don't know, a homeless camp inside the tree line. 
Then the shadows started to change to a purple static. You ever get your hands on a crappy VHS tape? You even remember those? It's the interference on those things. It can make the experience better, but... Have you moved your family out? No. Why? His broad face looked at me. I don't know. The eyes had nothing behind them. How long had he been looking into the shadows? You should take your family to a motel. The same dead eyes. No. Why? I don't know. This repeated itself several times. Something had whammied him and probably the rest of his family, too. I changed the subject and he returned to himself. Likely both him and the wife got it. I would have to interview the children. This wasn't something I knew offhand. Shadows had a few different monsters, beings, or, well, sharks that had various goals. Sometimes it was just feeding off fear. Cursed items littered the world, just waiting to be rediscovered. Other times it was a tempter. Something like a demon, but uh, not quite. Demons don't build atmosphere like his description. I talked with Jim over it, and he agreed with me. It was something of the outre-terre, but not... Mm, hell. Probably. Demons lie. Sometimes it was just a shark in a shadow. At least you can shoot those. I needed more information. It was time to visit the house. The house was a nice little two-story farmstead. It had a peaked roof, a generous crawl space, and a wrap-around porch. It was the picture of American prosperity. The farm behind it was full of barns and chicken coops. I raised chickens for the most part, but I have diversified into horses and soon, God willing, cattle, he told me. His wife was similar to him. She blanked on any suggestion to leave, but could describe the problem. The children were more helpful, and the youngest could tell me that it started after Daddy had watched a video, which she couldn't tell me. I searched the rack. The dad did enjoy horror films. He had old VHS tapes, never brought to DVD or internet streaming. I asked him which videos he had watched recently or newly acquired. He showed me some, but nothing felt right or mm, wrong, rather. I investigated his shelves, his house. I even took a trip to the local record offices. Nothing stood out. I had to let it go. Thankfully, whatever hypnotism kept the family in the house did not include keeping me out. The night progressed as normal. They fed me a fresh chicken, which was a delight. The lady of the house was an impeccable cook, and the couch was comfortable enough. My serious demeanor put off their need for entertainment, so everyone went to bed as soon as the dinner was over. I had slept late that morning in anticipation for a long night. It started with a buzz, like a CRT TV being turned on. I zapped myself on the doorknob to the downstairs bathroom. Sparks rolled over metal surfaces, lighting up everything with a dull white-blue glow. It faded just as quickly. The moon was full and the sky clear. This house had many windows, so I had a clear view of the shadows. They grew like someone had poured a glass of water onto the floor. It lapped against the walls, going in and out like the tides. 
The carpets running down the center of the halls were clear, but I couldn't tell whether it was because of the thick wool or its cream-white color. I did not step into the shadows. Instead, I investigated. We don't often get to do detective stuff, but all paranormal Pinkertons appreciate a bit of forensics. I dipped one of my less favored knives into the darkness. It hit the hardwood underneath, so it wasn't spatially unusual. I dipped my pinky into it. Nothing, but it did not come away on my finger until I held it up to the moonlight, which dissolved it. I followed the carpet closer to the windows. The moonlight was bright, but it wasn't bright enough to burn all the shadows it touched. Instead, the shadows tried to absorb the wood, but it couldn't go far, getting thinner the longer it was being shown on. I was still clueless as to what or how this was happening. I took a step into the shadows, and it didn't change its nature. The youngest daughter came down the stairs. She reacted to me, but did not run. I had mentioned in simple terms that I had killed monsters. She had solemnly taken it in. What's going on? The faceless man is feeding. That doesn't sound good. She shook her head. No, Mommy and Daddy have been forgetting things. The faceless man isn't friendly anymore. He just used me to eat. He eats memories? She shrugged. What does he say? He talks about Mommy and Daddy's memories. He repeats them. He keeps repeating them. I listen because he starts shouting if I don't. I followed her to my impromptu bedroom. The TV was on. Static, but it was flowing out just a little pouring out into the carpet, wider than the screen. It was a flat screen, but something about it reminded me of the old CRTs Mom used for her cameras. The kid stood there, hugging a puppy plushie. Images did not flash, but the kid stood there transfixed. After a few minutes, the TV winked out. What did he say? He doesn't talk. No, it's... She didn't know the words. I prompted her. He talks to your brain? Silent? She nodded. Has he ever told you where he is? In the house? In the shadows? No, he's below. Where? Is there a basement? She shook her head. I followed her upstairs. She pointed at her parents' door. There were purple lights underneath the door. It, it didn't flow out, but it did build. It resisted me as I opened the door. I had to step back. The light was so bright as to be blinding. I was dazzled. The parents, the farmer, and his wife were standing, dancing in the middle of a bedroom's floor. I could hear faint strains of some sort of music, strings, and a beat I couldn't place. Sudden as a gunshot, the parents snapped to a new step, no in-between or middle steps. They were in rapturous joy. The farmer held his wife close, and she looked into his eyes. She put her head to his chest, and he brought his head close to hers. Then, it repeated. I saw that the parents were sleeping in their bed as their memories danced in front of me. The purple infested their room, their bodies, and their very heads. Tendrils reached into their heads and lines of white and gold pulsed steadily, pulling memories from their minds. I closed the door. I didn't know what would save them except ending it at the source. He was talking about when they married. They won't remember in the morning. Um... I hissed. These things were rare and strange compared to the Otraterre. Usually they sat hidden in some place and infested an area with an aura. 
there was no real way to write how, as it was one of the things where what it was fed mattered. Sometimes they were nothing more than a clamshell that eats the memories of the sea, other times a sword that feeds off the memory of war. The tendrils of purple with the gold and white veins rose from the floor. I remembered that this house had a crawl space. Below indeed. Kid, get your sister and up and get ready. I'm going into the crawl space. If something happens, you two will need to grab your parents and run out. Why? I am going to fight the faceless man. She gasped, stood shocked for a moment, and then ran to her older sister's room. I walked down the stairs and into the outside. The shadows covered the house. If there was so much as an inch incline, providing even the basest shadow, it existed greater than the natural occurrences. I found the entrance to the crawl space and entered in. I knew the shadows wouldn't harm me, but I was still wary of sticking my head in. I did anyway. My flashlight was useless. The darkness was as thick as molasses. I cut it with my knife and it stuck to me, like swimming through corn syrup or through corn starch. I could breathe without effort, but that meant nothing. My body still desired, demanded, that I treat the shadows as a real thing. I called it... But I had doubts in my own mind. Putting a name to it helped define it. It was not something I recognized. Do not create effects like this, and they don't create physical barriers within their auras. It did not matter. Nothing changed as I plunged deeper into the strange but real fog of darkness. On one hand, I held the, one of my bowie knives and slashed every time I needed to advance. In the other, I held my 1911. I hoped gunpowder would ignite. It was not a guarantee when something of the ultra terror spread so strongly. Sometimes physics broke down enough that the chemical reactions did not fire, or they fired so slowly an elf could dance a hornpipe on the pellets as they flew through the air. I wanted to use the 1887, but I feared fire. Even if together the sisters could wake the parents, I didn't want to trust in their escape. The claustrophobia tried to drag me down as if little hands I could not feel with flesh wanted to drown me in the shadows. I could feel the dead earth of the crawl space under my stomach. I scraped and cursed. I remembered the bones of the giant's case, the beating heart, the piercing eye. I could feel the bones of the giant pass over me. It wanted to eat me so that it could move forward, being whole again. I could not let it get out. I felt the hand of the bones and the unskinned flesh close on me. Then I gasped, waking up from a nightmare forced on me within the crawl space. I heard a mewling scream above and gritted my teeth. I didn't know what was going on up there, but it couldn't have been good for the girls. Did they share my dream of the underground cavern, the things dead and their still-living air, the hatred for human life that would never end, no matter what? My knife hit something solid. It didn't feel like stone, wood, or dirt. I felt it. It was the same smooth yet pebbly consistency of an egg. I put my arms around it, smooth and all the way around. I could only feel it. It merged with the darkness as the rest of the crawl space was. I could maneuver my body to ensure its consistency. If not this, then what? I put my gun to the shell and fired. 
The explosion was muted and the sphere cracked. I pried off what I could reach. Shell fragments turned from hard shadows into goop as I cut my way through. The stuff could be held in my hands and I could feel it pour from my fingers. The rest of the egg shifted, boiled, and poured over my head and body. My flashlight showed me more and more of the world around me. The crawl space was as I expected. A possum sat in one corner and hissed at me. I could see the joists of the floor above, and I could hear footsteps on them above my head. The creature I called a sat in the center of the crawl space. I was still on my hands and knees, but without the oppressive darkness, I could raise my head higher. Nothing was holding me down. I did not like this position for combat. I heard heavier footsteps crash above me. The family was moving. The thing was like a child's drawing of a human. They knew what a human looked like, but the proportions were off. Its arms wrapped around its thin body, and I couldn't see its hands. I would call it emaciated, but the freak didn't have a rib cage. Its arms and legs seemed to be the same length too long. This thing would stand several feet above me. Its, its toes were twisted and clawed like a man who hadn't cut his toenails ever. The head was bowed to the spot between its knees and not facing me. Its skin was a sort of leathery something. It didn't leave any sort of impression on me. I knew its dimensions and that it was brown, but it didn't touch my mind's eye like a deer or a mannequin would. Meal's over. Time to pay the tab. I spat. I aimed my 1911, then stopped. Did I do one-liners? I paused, which nearly proved fatal. The thing unwrapped itself. Its hands were like human hands, but misshapen, with fingers long enough to give a piano player envy. Its body, whatever its posture, was a thin, straight line, maybe two or three times its arm's width. Its thin neck supported a head too big for any animal. Its face glowed with a static nothing. Lines of black, white, and gray interference played over its empty pit. It had no mouth, no ears, no eyes, no nose, nothing but a void of a television set set to the dead end of a VCR tape. I had no idea what this was. It stood well above my height, but perfectly contained by the floorboards. It didn't clip through the floors or push against any solid surface. There was a hiss and it became aware of me. With a shriek, it ran at me, arms straight out in a posture no human runner, no matter how inexperienced, would take. I fired at it and saw a bullet cut a line through the thing's chest. Sky blue blood sprayed out of its side, but it did not react to whatever passed for pain. It grabbed me even as I struck with my knife, cutting more sky blue out of its leathery skin. I grappled it and struggled as it came closer. There was a snap of static electricity, and the thing and I fought in a wedding reception. I was flung onto a table, shattering glasses and causing people to scream. I saw the faces of the father and the mother on the head table. Someone was giving a ribald toast, and the laughter was exaggerated. Those who screamed returned to their positions once I was done disturbing the memory. I couldn't remember how many bullets I had, so I changed magazines. The monster, faceless as ever, stood in the middle of the wedding reception and splayed its hands. Light wrapped around it, sending streamers into its face. The light would swirl and distort. 
turning purple and streaking with distortion. I fired at it. I could not hit its head with the effect, but the body took damage. The sky-blue wounds I had made had healed. A bullet tore a chunk out of its hip and the thing fell. The memory moved forward. Now I was running at it, dodging the dancing couple and getting close enough that I could aim at something so thin I would need half a ruler to measure it. I cut a finger off as it reached for my head. It recoiled. I could hurt it. A backhanded strike sent me tumbling into the cake which fell over me except for a slice of cake that hovered in the air. There was a snap and the couple, as lovely as ever, was cutting into the air around the slice and lifting it up to feed into each other's mouths. Again, the thing healed itself with the light of the memory. Like a reversed video, the finger I cut off returned to its hand. I changed tact. I ran at it, punched it in the face. It screamed, an eight-time speed of a fast-forwarded horror flick. It ate memory to heal and likely grow. The bullets don't have a memory. I whipped out one of my older and more storied knives. I focused on the time I stabbed a chupacabra. I missed its head, but stuck it on the right angle of the shoulder. Again, the times ate scream. It pushed me away, and the snap happened again. This time I fell onto the roof of a limousine. I lost my breath. The thing fell on me, knee in my gut. Its hands caught at my throat. But before it could crush my windpipe, I pistol-whipped the creature with my 1911. The 1911 that my grandfather and great-grandfather owned and passed down to me. It screamed, and instead of blue blood, the head bled its static face. It splattered over me, getting into my eyes and face. It tasted of black pepper and salt, or of meals I had years ago, or of cake I didn't recognize, or of a French pastry shared in some smoky back room, or a soap after a curse word or a kiss. I shut my eyes and prayed to God that I would know what was me and what was them. I didn't understand or want those memories. I didn't know whose they were. There was no through-line, no logical thought. It was the silent scream of a dying memory. I beat it to death on the roof of a limousine as the bride repeatedly threw the same bundle of flowers to the women behind her. The same woman caught them, only to toss them back. I rolled it off the limousine and into what I hoped was asphalt. It was nothing, and we fell. I had a death grip on its neck, and I struck it more and more as the static blood gushed out of it. Its hands stopped moving, and then its body, and then finally, the screeching and hissing ended. The face winked out into a little hole of light, and then nothing at all. I landed next to its corpse on the grass outside the crawl space. thank God. I'd only fell a foot, but I had nearly crushed the feet of the family. All three women screamed, the father just looked at it. I wasn't sure what to do with myself, so I let the training take over. Sean had been drilling customer service into me. I did what I could. <clears throat> this is a part of the paranormal Pinkerton service package. Um, I uh, can't really recommend amnesia drugs for this, so we'll keep this internal. Uh, can't have you forgetting your wife's birthday. <laughs> I stood there awkwardly as the family looked at me in disbelief. 
Oh, oh. I pulled out a card. Control had given me these. They had anomaly-friendly psychologists associated with days. I wasn't sure if their minds were pretzels or not, but best to offer solutions. Yeah, just many of these. The mother took the card. Take memory problems seriously and, and check against what others know. Don't fight them on it. I might have beaten the thing to death where you, you throw the bouquet. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know what we'll do with you, what, what you remember. I don't bouquet toss, said the mother. She scrunched up her eyes. They took it well. I beat it to death there, so just, um... I started dragging the body away. The family watched me bundle the thing into a trash bag and then throw the body bag into my trunk. I shouted at them. I'm gonna get this thing analyzed by a friend. Uh, we'll let you know if something happens. I shook the father's hand. It's dead. You, you'll be back to normal in no time. Yeah. I had filled my word quota for the day. I think that talking to the customers went well. The girl did thank me before I went. Despite my need to perform customer service, being thanked for saving their parents felt good. I had the police give them a wellness check, though, just in case. Eugene is ready to go to gym for more training. I'm sending the body of the with him. Let me know if something comes up. Jack Morrow, out. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a podcast distributed by Superversive Radio, a license under an attribution non-commercial, share-alike international license. This episode was written by Ben Wheeler and is performed by the same. Ben Wheeler edits, directs, produces, and herds cats. Ken Dickerson performs our audio editing. Visit us on Facebook. Read articles on superversivesf.com or listen to us on unauthorized Acast, iTunes, or Spotify. Contact us through Twitter at, at Pinkerton's Ghosts, email us at Pinkerton's Ghosts at gmail.com, or send us noble messenger possums with messages strapped to their backs. Don't worry, they know how to find us. Thank you for listening, and good luck.